Welcome back to The Der Show. Today, I want to talk about what happened at Stanford Law School uh, last week. Many of you know about it already. A federal judge who was invited by the Federalist Society to speak was uh, shouted down. And uh, the dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion then took the podium and basically justified uh, the student's um, decision um, not to listen to him, to walk out. Um, and to protest. It's, it's okay to protest, okay to walk out, it's not okay to drown out. Um, and then she, you know, went on a little uh, rant about how much harm he had done and how people shouldn't be invited to the law school who might hurt the feelings of minority students and other students who she's uh, basically uh, in charge of as the dean of, of diversity, um, inclusion, and, uh, and equity. Uh, the reason it's so important is that Stanford is just the tip of the iceberg, uh, not even the canary in the mine. The canary in the mine may have been Yale, where this happened previously, or Georgetown. Um, and it will happen at every single law school in the country that has a chapter of the National Lawyers Guild. The National Lawyers Guild is uh, a, a hard left, form, formally, formally, uh, a communist-oriented um, uh, organization. Um, it was taken over by communists for a period of time during uh, its early existence. It also had some very good people in it. Uh, Arthur Goldberg was a member, uh, uh, other good people were members, but it's been uh, taken over by the hard, hard uh, left. And, and they have said that they will disrupt um, any speaker who essentially they disagree with, who comes to speak at uh, law schools, and, and that's what happened. So you can see it. There's a video. Just do Stanford. Um, just Google it, and, and you'll see the video of the dean holding forth. You know, she paid lip service to freedom of speech, oh, how important freedom of speech is. But um, is the juice, juice worth the squeeze, or is the squeeze worth the juice? I don't remember which way it goes. But um, she basically said, should we be inviting people who will hurt the feelings of, of other people? Uh, shouldn't we be trying to change the Stanford rules and not permit hate speech? This judge was not going to engage in hate speech. He was uh, going to be talking about the role of the Supreme Court and where he's argued when he was a lawyer on gun control, gay rights, and a range of other issues and probably would present a position that would be quite controversial, a position which I probably would not agree with. I'm sure I would not agree with it. But if I were there, I would have asked some uh, polite questions. That's not what happened. What happened was the dean basically monopolized the discussion. And by the time she was finished, um, he didn't really have time to make his presentation. So he answered uh, questions. The questions reflected the quality of, <laughs> of the people asking them. Uh, uh, one, I'll just read you from an article. The students appeared to have little familiarity with Duncan's jurisprudence. Some accused him of suppressing the voting rights of African-Americans Duncan said, only to cite a case where Duncan had actually dissented from the majority. Oh, yeah, except you were on the wrong side of, of the case. But this is my favorite. This is a question asked by a student. And when I read this question, I want to ask you, would you want this guy to represent you as a lawyer? Would you hire him if you were a hiring partner of a law firm? Would you hire him if you were a judge who was looking for law clerks? Here's the question that this man asked, quote, I fuck men. I can find the prostate, one student asked. Why can't you find the clit? That's the question. 
and people were shocked when <laughs> the judge um, um, used himself a little bit of profanity where he said that the real victims here are, are the students who wanted to hear me speak. And he said they were being treated like dog shit. Um, the judge was obviously a little angry at the fact that uh, he was not allowed to present his uh, point of view. Again, let me emphasize that heckling a speaker is okay as long as it's brief and doesn't shout out the speaker. You can say, uh, you're wrong, um, you know, you're a racist. You can do any of those things um, and, and you can walk out. Um, you can hold signs as long as you don't block the view of other people. All of that's okay. What you cannot do is prevent the speaker from speaking. And that's what happened here. That's what happened at Yale. That's what happened at Georgetown. And now I'm going to make a shocking statement. It's in the form of a challenge in some ways. I taught at Harvard for 50 years. I am a liberal. I was one of the most liberal members of the Harvard Law School faculty for the 50 years. I was a national board member of the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, I voted Democrat in every presidential election. I defended uh, Hillary Clinton uh, in the court of public opinion, Bill Clinton in front of uh, in his impeachment, uh, Ted Kennedy in, in Chappaquiddick. I have all the credentials of being a liberal Democrat. I probably would be shouted down if Harvard were to invite me, if the Federalist Society were to invite me or some other group were to invite me to speak to a school where I taught for 50 years, over 10,000 students, I bet you I would not be given an opportunity to present my speech without uh, sh being shouted down and being disrupted. Uh, I don't mind that there'd be protests. That's okay. You can protest me speaking, but allow the people who want to hear me speak to speak. But uh, the point I want to make is it's not Stanford. It's virtually every law school in the United States, certainly every law school that has a chapter of the National uh, Lawyers uh, Guild uh, would probably stop me from uh, speaking. And if they would stop me, who are they going to allow? They're only allowing people whose views they uh, approve of. And that's not democracy. That's not freedom of speech. Now, Stanford and Harvard are private universities, as is uh, Georgetown, Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania, they're trying to fire a professor, a tenured professor. These are all private uh, universities, um, and they have more rights to suppress free speech than public universities do. But um, some states have uh, state statutes that um, guarantee freedom of speech of, um, of, of speakers who and, and of listeners. And people often forget what Thurgood Marshall great justice reminded us, the First Amendment not only protects the freedom to speak, but equally it protects the freedom to hear and to listen. And those are two sides of the same coin, as he said. And people forget that the uh, when you suppress a speaker, you prevent his listeners from hearing what he had to say. Uh, now, recently, the president of Stanford, who I know and who I respect, um, very decent guy, uh, and the dean of the law school apologized um, to the judge, but they should have apologized to the students, uh, the ones who were denied the right to hear uh, Judge uh, Duncan and to question him. Um, students have a right to ask hard questions of a speaker. Uh, he's not wearing his robe at that point. He's like any other speaker. 
and you can ask him hard questions. You can even ask him the kind of stupid, dumb questions that these two quoted students did. One uh, <laughs> citing his uh, saying he, he was on the wrong side of a case when in fact he, he was on the side the students were on for the most part. And the students who, who talked about the sexuality, their sexuality and the sexuality of the of the judge, uh, you have a right to be to ask dumb questions. Now, I wouldn't hire you if asked a question like that, but I'm entitled not to hire somebody who is asking really, really stupid uh, questions. Uh, and so the question comes up, um, and that's that's what I want to want to really really ask you and and ask for your letters and opinions uh, on this. So the members of the National Lawyers Guild publicized the names of the members of the Federalist Society who had invited Judge Duncan to shame them and to harass them. Um, and some of them were threatened. Um, and, and, and the dean has said, well, you know, if you want to see our psychiatrist or our deans, uh, we'll make you feel better. And that's not the point. The point is that the National Lawyers Guild publicized the name of the people who invited Judge Jenkins. So what's fair is fair. Shouldn't the names of the protesters, the name of the jerk who asked the question about sexuality, the name of the people who got the dissent and the majority confused, shouldn't their names be publicized as well? Uh, a couple of judges mistakenly argued that after the Yale situation, they would never hire another Yale law clerk. Well, maybe I'm biased. I was a Yale law school graduate, and I was hired to be a law clerk by the Court of Appeals and the United States Supreme Court. Uh, I think that's an overgeneralization. I'm sure there are going to be judges who will say, I won't hire anybody from Stanford. That's a mistake, because remember, Stanford students include the people who invited him and included people who just wanted to hear him speak. And you shouldn't paint with a broad brush. The same thing is true of Yale. More than half the students at Yale, I'm sure, were objecting to the fact that uh, a speaker from the Federalist Society was not allowed to express her point of view. And the same thing probably true of Georgetown. And there was an article in yesterday's New York Times about Professor Wax at uh, University of Pennsylvania, who the dean would like to see disciplined or denied tenure, de deprived of her tenure that she already has um, because of views that they regard as racist. She denies she's a racist. She says she's a race realist, um, but she does make statements that are very provocative, statements that I fundamentally uh, disagree with. Uh, for example, she does basically say that blacks are intellectually less able than, than, than whites. Uh, I, I would urge her to go to Washington Square Park and watch some of these young black men who play speed chess and win every single game and are absolutely brilliant uh, at chess. They beat, they beat grandmasters. Um, nobody can persuade me that there are uh, inherent um, intellectual differences based on race. Um, whatever differences there are, are largely based on, on culture and background. Uh, you know, when the IQ test was first invented, uh, the Stanford Binet test, I think it was, the earliest tests, um, it was administered to a lot of uh, immigrants, including lots of Jews. And the initial conclusion were that Jews were intellectually inferior. Um, they didn't do as well on the test because the tests were culturally uh, biased. These were the Jews whose children won the Nobel Prizes and became 
professors. Uh, I always love Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, hypothetical question, what's the difference between a woman who worked as a bookkeeper in the garment district and a Supreme Court justice? And the answer is one generation. Her mother worked as a uh, bookkeeper, as did mine. And, and in the same area, probably Ruth Bader Ginsburg's mom and my mom knew each other. They, and, and they both had relatively successful children. Um, so I, I don't believe uh, that wax is correct, but I wouldn't uh, deny her tenure, take away her tenure. Um, if she's wrong, correct her, challenge her, as I would if I were a student or a colleague, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take away their, their tenure. So, so the question remains, um, uh, should there be accountability for students who deprive other students of their right to hear controversial speakers? Should there be consequences for a dean who played uh, an ignoble role in this entire episode? And by the way, the president of Stanford and the dean of Stanford, the, the, the head dean of Stanford, did gently criticize uh, the dean, the dean of diversity, and uh, assured that it would never happen again. No, it's going to happen again. They're wrong. It's going to happen again. Unless students are held accountable, um, I wouldn't expel students the first time it happened. But if it happened again, after appropriate warnings, uh, if there were violations of clear school rules, uh, it, yeah. You know, when I was a, a visitor at Stanford, I was, um, as a very young man, I was honored to become uh, a fellow at the Center for Advanced Study of Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University. And uh, I represented a professor named Bruce Franklin, who was a terrible man. I hated his guts. He was a Stalinist, um, but he was uh, being deprived of tenure, and I, I defended him. And um, most of the Stanford law professors supported denying him uh, tenure. I was the radical leftist in those days. I was never that, but I was the liberal. I was the ACLU lawyer, in fact, uh, who defended Bruce Franklin, and most of the faculty wanted him uh, fired. And he did some, you know, he did some bad things. He made a speech uh, urging uh, students, or at least inciting students, at least that was the argument, uh, to take over the computation center. Uh, I think I remember his exact words. He said, I think, um, I think it would be a, a good idea, a good idea if uh, people were to take over the computation center and, and destroy the war complicity that Stanford has uh, in the Vietnam War, and the people then moved and took over the computation center. And uh, that was one of the charges against him. He claimed it was an incitement because he just said it would be a good idea. And I was one of his lawyers, and so I made that argument. Um, uh, but that was Stanford University back then. Today, it's quite different. Um, today, it's uh, a much woker university, though it also has the Hoover Center, which is a conservative think tank. And I'm sure there are many conservatives on the Stanford campus who would like to hear uh, a variety of points of view. By the way, going to hear a speaker doesn't mean you subscribe to their point of view. Uh, I've gone to hear many speakers who I disagree with. And, you know, I think they're interesting. William Buckley was one of the great speakers of my generation. I disagreed with almost everything he stood for. Um, but uh I wanted to hear what he had to say, and occasionally he would change my mind, and occasionally I would actually change uh, his mind. And so um, the question is, what do you do? You're the president of a university. You're the dean of a uh, law school, and you have students who just don't want to hear, don't want to hear. 
these points of view, that's fine. You don't want to hear them, don't come. You know, it's, uh, my idea of censorship is change the channel. Uh, you know, you don't like my podcast, turn it off. Uh, but don't try to stop me from having my podcast. And that's what these intolerant National Lawyers Guild uh, students are, are trying to do. They're trying to prevent speakers like Duncan from persuading open-minded students that maybe he has a point. Look, I hope he doesn't persuade them. I'm, his views are not my views. I, I don't approve of many of his decisions. I have to admit, I only know from what I've read in the newspapers, but I'll give you one example. Uh, he had a case involving apparently a transgender child pornographer. Boy, that's a mouthful. And he refused to call that person by their preferred pronoun. I don't remember which one it was, but he called him he. Um, and uh, he uh, was much criticized, the judge was, for not allowing somebody. Well, I had an experience like that some years ago. I was speaking at Yale College, and I was speaking about the um, um, WikiLeaks case. And I mentioned uh, um, Manning. Remember Manning? He's the guy who gave over the material. Um, Ultimately, he became a woman and was Chelsea Manning. But before that, uh, he was a man. And so when I described the case to this large audience, I said, he stole secrets. Um, uh, and people start yelling out, she, 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 not he, she, she, she. I said, no, don't blame a woman for what a man did. He stole the secrets as a man. He then may have divulged them as a woman, but he was, and they said, no, he was always a woman, but he didn't really make the change or didn't know it. I don't remember which, but uh, no, I, 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 truth prevails over, over preferences. Would I do the same thing today? Today, I basically use the word they for everybody. Um, they did this, they did that. And I try very hard not to um, focus on, uh, gender words, uh, probably a little bit, a little bit cowardly to do that. But, you know, I, I want to, I want to not insult people gratuitously. And if they want to be called what they want to be called, I'm happy to, to do that. Um, uh, as long as it doesn't distort history and doesn't distort a reality and maybe it doesn't distort grammar. Uh, but I'm willing to distort grammar. They is the plural, but it's now been used to, uh, describe, uh, people who don't, don't want to be described as either he or she, so you say they. Um, and that's okay. I'm, I'm happy to distort grammar a little bit, not to uh, make people un uncomfortable, but I'm not happy to distort history. Uh, Chelsea Manning uh, was a man at the time he stole the security secrets, and then he became a woman. That's history, and you can't distort that history. And so... Um, uh, getting back to Stanford for just a few moments, um, I think it would be a good idea to disclose the names of the students. I think that students should know in advance that if they participate in public, public um, advocacy and, and, and uh, public attempts to take back advocacy, public attempts to silence speakers, public censorship of speakers, um, their names uh, are in the public, and it's a good thing, not a bad thing, to identify them so that others are not held responsible for their views. You don't want students at Stanford who did nothing wrong to be punished for the few who did something wrong. So I think publishing the names is 
is probably a good idea. You know, as somebody who lived during McCarthyism, I'm concerned about creating any kind of a blacklist. But of course, the McCarthyite blacklist was very different because those were people who had been communists many, many years earlier. Most of them had given that up. And many of them were, you know, very patriotic Americans. But when you reveal their names and put them in a blacklist, they couldn't get jobs in, in Hollywood. They couldn't get jobs in television. They couldn't get jobs uh, in ordinary uh, places of work. And so blacklists were very bad. This is very different. These are students who are proud to have disrupted the speaker, who are, were prepared to uh, give interviews. And there's no reason why their names shouldn't be disclosed. And uh, frankly, if I'm a judge, I wouldn't hire uh, a student who was part of a, um, a disruption. I wouldn't hire a student who asked a dumb question uh, like uh, the question that was asked by that student regarding the judge's sexuality. I would at least question a potential law clerk applicant saying, well, you, you challenged this judge on an opinion, but he wrote the dissent. Didn't you do any research before you did that? Would you do research for me if I asked you to do a draft of an opinion or would you just express your your bigoted views, uh, one-sided views or views that you heard from somebody else? I want to know who's working for me. I had, you know, I don't know how many hundred research assistants uh, over my 50 years at Harvard. And I never, never picked them on the basis of anything other than merit. But uh, I'd want to know if a student was part of a, a disruption, on, which I regard as inconsistent with the spirit of the First Amendment. I'd want to know those things. And so um, I'm happy to see some accountability of the Harvard, of the uh, Stanford students Freudian slip. I think it will happen at Harvard. I wonder what will happen if I am um, invited. Um, and uh, it would be interesting to see and uh, other schools as well. So I think this is the wave of the future. I think we're going to see more censorship. I think we're going to see less accountability. I think we're going to see more people like the dean of, um, of diversity uh, who have increased power at universities and uh, students, radical uh, leftist, woke, progressive, censorial students having more power. And that means less power in the hands of the majority of students who just want to go to school and learn and become good lawyers or doctors or engineers and want to hear different points of view. I mean, people go to great universities to hear diversity of points of view. And yet no school that I know of has a dean of intellectual diversity, only of racial diversity. And uh, that may be important, but uh, so is intellectual diversity. So let's look at some um, questions that uh, uh, came in in the last day or so. Here they are. Uh, by the way, um, in two days, uh, my new book is coming out. Um, it's called Get Trump. There it is. You can order it today. And... Um, uh, Amazon will send it to you in a couple of days. Um, you know, it's a, a book about uh, how people are trying to use, weaponize the law uh, in an attempt to uh, prevent Trump from running for re-election. Now, I don't plan to vote for him if he runs, but I would like to make sure that the law is not improperly weaponized to prevent him from uh, running. And I'm sure we'll have more shows uh, on that, but please uh, get my book, Get Trump. 
and uh, write me letters about it. And once the book's out for a couple of days and you've had a chance to read it, I'll do another show uh, on it. And then we can get some letters and be interested to hear what you have to say about that. Okay, so let's now turn to some questions. What do you think about your friend Chuck Schumer trying to push Fox News not to broadcast the videos of the January 6th events? I didn't know that. And I, I, I'm going to take you at your word that that's happened. Of course, that's dead wrong. Uh, everybody should see the videotapes and the government try to suppress them. Again, full disclosure, I represent one of the young men, a law student who was uh, arrested and, and charged with a, a felony for, for going into the Capitol at the behest of a police who waved him in and the videotapes show that. And so it's very important for Americans to see all sides of an issue and not to accept the narrative of one side. So if Chuck Schumer said that, Chuck, sorry, don't agree with you on that one. Okay, Trump will be indicted, and it's hard to fathom any Republican being acquitted in D.C., let alone the MAGA king. Justice in America is dead. Trump and the J6ers are victims of political witch hunt, and most Americans just don't care. But what goes around comes around. The day will come when the other shoe drops. Well, I hope not. I hope we'll uh, have a day when there's uh, equal justice. By the way, he's being indicted, likely, uh, in New York, not Washington, D.C. Now, can he get a fair trial in New York? That's a hard question. Um, I think it would be more likely he can get a fair trial in New York than in Washington, D.C. He might also be indicted in Georgia and probably could get a fair trial there because talk about diversity. You have a much more diverse jury pool in Georgia than you do in the District of Columbia and probably in New York more than in the District of Columbia. So we'll wait and see. What do you think about compelling students to say the Pledge of Allegiance in school? Let's assume under God is taken out. I still wouldn't do it. I would recite the pledge. That's fine. But compel students to do it. No, I don't think so. I think a student has the right not to be compelled to declare his uh, support um, for the United States. I hope they all do. I hope students are patriotic, but uh, one of my sons refused to cite the pledge during the Vietnam War. And I remember the principal called me thinking I would berate my son. And I, of course, I congratulated him and went to the school and told him I completely support his right. Uh, not to say the Pledge of Allegiance. I think today he does say the Pledge of Allegiance, but I'm not sure. He's not in school, uh, but I know he stands for the national anthem, as I do. By the way, I I went to um, uh, the ballpark the the other night, um, uh, Marlin Park, what's it called, Lone Depot Park now. Beautiful, beautiful ballpark. And I stood for the national anthems, both of them, but they weren't the United States national anthem. One of them was the Israeli national anthem and the other was the Nicaraguan national anthem because it's the world baseball classic and Nicaragua was playing uh, Israel. Nicaragua was had one nothing in the eighth inning and then Israel had a rally and they won three nothing. And I had a great time at the game, uh, hot dogs and all. Wow. Uh, and then I didn't go to last night's game and I think I'm glad I didn't go. Israel made history, but not in a good way last night. They were the first team ever in the American, uh, in the world uh, baseball classic to be subject to not only a no hitter, but a perfect game. Puerto Rico, phenomenal pitcher, pitched a perfect game, 24 up, 
24 down, you're going to say, whoops, flip of the tongue, it's 27. No, it's 24. Because in the World Baseball Classic, they have an interesting rule. If one team is ahead 10 to nothing, the game ends. And um, Puerto Rico scored their 10th run in the last of the eighth inning. So Israel never got to be up in the ninth inning. So it was 24 to 24 up, 24 down. So congratulations to Puerto Rico. What a great game you put on. And tonight I'm going to watch the next two games that uh, in the World Classic are um, Israel versus Venezuela and Dominican Republic, who are probably the two best teams in the World Baseball Classic. So I, I'm, I'm not holding out such great hope for Israel, but I'm going to cheer for them. Uh, okay, um, final words. I could listen to you all day. I learned so much. Thank you, Professor. That's so nice. That's so nice. Another one. I am 74 years old and I'm Jewish and I still remember the Lord's Prayer that we used to say in class in the New York public schools before the law changed around 1954. Yeah, and uh, it's it's fine that you remember it. The problem is the Lord's Prayer is a Christian prayer. Uh, and um, if you want to say it, you should be free to say it. And I'm sure all Christian schools uh, say it, just like Jewish schools say Shema Yisrael. And other Jewish prayers in Muslim schools say uh, Aloha Akbar. And that's all good. That's what diversity and religious freedom and freedom of expression in the First Amendment is all about. But public schools are subject to the other provision of the Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. And the Supreme Court has held, appropriately in my view, that compelling prayer in the schools is a law regarding an establishment of religion, and it shouldn't be permitted. So those are my views. Um, oh, one more question. What about the oath? Do you swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth to help you God? I swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, but I don't say so help me God. And in fact, the United States Constitution, which has the oath of office for the president, does not include so help me God. So you can swear under American freedom, you can swear without saying so help me God. And the oath is just as relevant and subjects you to perjury prosecution if you lie. So you don't have to swear to God in order to uh, be subject to a perjury prosecution. And I think that's uh, the right approach. So see you all tomorrow.